0: saw this week that a governor of a state that shall remain nameless uh, canceled the Christmas tree lighting ceremony because he was afraid of some anti-Israel protests that were planned for the event. You may be aware that there's war going on in the world, right? You'd have to have your head buried pretty far in the sand not to realize that there's conflict in the Middle East, that there's war in Russia and Ukraine and On top of that, you've got China ramping up its military efforts and and threatening Taiwan, and then you've got catastrophe at our own borders. Add to this, you've got the mounting fears of a recession and the reverberating impacts of rapid inflation and news of more layoffs at your company, and it's little wonder that maybe Christmas doesn't quite feel like Christmas this year. You may be just like Cindy Lou Who asking, where are you, Christmas? Why can't I find you? Maybe it's not just this year that you've had that. Maybe it's been many years that you've had longings for Christmas to be something that it just doesn't seem to ever quite measure up to. Christmas, in some regards, has always been a season of excitement, of anticipation, of joy. And even as we describe it, we'll use the language of a kind of magic that surrounds the season, as it seems like all of the chaos in the past of the world has has pushed pause And the world has somehow transformed itself into one of those peaceful snow globe scenes, even if just for a few weeks. In fact, there have been truces called during wars in the past for Christmas. Well, it seems like someone forgot to turn the world's calendar to December this year in some regards, doesn't it? Feels like someone needs to remind everyone that, hey, Christmas is coming, and can everybody just chill for a minute? So we can celebrate the season. If we're honest with ourselves, though, again, Christmas has never really been that idyllic Christmas that we want. It's the reason why the Hallmark Channel and whatever that new better Hallmark Channel is called, that, that, it's the reason why they've made a killing off of the same plot every single year, and they'll do 25 days of the same Christmas movie in a different town with different costumes. Why? Because we like to watch it and think, oh, yeah, it, that's, that's what Christmas should be like. This year may have a lot of negativity on the the global scene, but I wonder what it looks like even in this room for some. There may be some difficult Christmas seasons in this room represented by a first Christmas perhaps without a, a loved one, or a first Christmas away from home, or a first Christmas unemployed, perhaps a Christmas with cancer, or a Christmas with conflict. See, we think about Christmas and we think about it in this way. We think, man, Christmas is supposed to be this great time where all of my desires for peace and comfort and joy and warmth and that, that feeling, that warm, fuzzy feeling that we get is meant to be here and, and just sometimes our Christmas seems more like this than it does like the idyllic Christmas we all wish we had. See, there, there is a dark side to Christmas. There is a side to Christmas that leaves us asking, where are you, Christmas? And sure, we could look to our circumstances in life and say, well, Christmas doesn't feel like Christmas this year because fill in the blank. Or we could look to God's explanation, which is what I'd like us to do this morning. And to consider an aspect of this baby in the manger that all these little kiddos just sang about up here that can restore our hope and belief in the joy of Christmas this season. Take your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 5 if you have them. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Paul has been writing and setting up this concept of The gospel in Romans. In Romans 1 through 5, he has been basically addressing a a main problem, a main issue in the world, and a problem we'll talk about this morning. And then also addressing what the solution is. And the solution is a person that we'll talk about this morning. But the problem he identifies right off the bat for us in verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. If you're one of those this year wondering with Cindy Louhu, Where are you, Christmas? Why can't I find you? This, at least in part, provides the answer. If you're wondering, what is God's answer to why Christmas doesn't seem to ever measure up to what I hope it would be? What is God's answer to why we've got the conflict and the sickness and the disease and the war and the strain and all of those things? What is God's answer? It's three letters and it's laid out there in Romans 5, 12. It's sin. One word, tiny word, three letters. Massive ramifications. See, because of sin, we live in a broken and what we would call fallen world. In other words, a world that's not the way that God intended for it to be when he created everything and said, behold, it was very good. No, instead, with sin, we have disease and war and broken marriages and betrayal and lies and cheating and violence. All of these are byproducts of sin. And in Romans 5.12, Paul tells us that this sin is, concept goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation. It goes back to Adam and Eve. We read about them in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's the moment, the moment in time where sin entered the world, and this world became broken. By the way, this is one of the reasons why it matters that we believe that the first three chapters of the Bible are historical. Historical not some allegory, not some metaphor. And it has nothing to do in this context with the age of the earth and everything to do with the gospel. See, Paul is connecting a gospel argument about why sin exists to the fact that Adam, as a historical person, and you may say, say, well, wasn't it Eve who sinned? Yes, but Adam was the head of the relationship. God held Adam accountable in the context. And so Adam is the representative. And so it's, it's, It's imperative that we understand that he was a historical figure. Otherwise, the whole argument in Romans 5 falls apart. And we don't have any explanation for why the world is the way it is. But Paul says it's because of Adam and his sin that sin came into the world. Sin was birthed into God's creation. And since then, its impacts have been reverberating down throughout the ages, including in our lives and in our families. In fact, Paul says there's not one person there in Romans 5.12 who has escaped its corruption or its consequences. But that's pretty evident, isn't it? I feel like I may be preaching to the choir on that. I mean, I've I've already mentioned the headlines. We can see the brokenness in the world's headlines, what's going on on the, the global scene. But my guess is you see it evident in your workplace as well. It doesn't take a long to look around your, your place of employment and see that there's sin there. You can probably also look around your dinner table and see sin there too, can't you? And then if I can step on even more toes, myself included, I think it's pretty evident even when we look in the mirror. We know and we confess and we acknowledge that we are sinners. And so this idea that sin that that began with Adam has infected all of God's creation since then is not hard for us to wrap our minds around. And see, that's what we need to understand. That's the reason therein why Christmas so often fails to live up to our expectations. We're expecting a reality that this broken world can't sustain. We're looking for things here that are not meant to be fully realized here. Here. So rather than setting yourself up for failure again this year, why not ask if there might be a reason for all of these unmet expectations? Our first point this morning is this. Understand why this season never seems to satisfy. Understand why this season never satisfies. You're like, wow, I came to hear kids sing these cute Christmas songs. Pastor, you're kind of a downer right now. Don't worry, the good news is coming. But it's important that we understand and grapple with this reality and not just sweep it under the rug. And if you think you're alone in the room because you just can't quite get into the Christmas spirit this season, can I just tell you that you're not? It just may be that some people next to you have a better facade than you do. I remember the first Christmas, I really felt the true joy and excitement of Christmas, and it was this one. I got the G.I. Joe Rolling Thunder. I remember it. I remember this thing. My mom got me a Playmobil, like, doctor's helicopter, my dad got me the Rolling Thunder G.I. Joe tank, I played, well, I played with both, but the helicopter got shot down by this guy. He had rockets that were mounted to the thing they could fire, it was amazing. I I remember this, by the way, if I still had it, it's worth like four to six hundred bucks on eBay right now. Lesson, parents, save your kids toys, and don't give them to them when they move out. This is how we get paid back, Mom and Dad. We, we hold on to all their toys, and then we sell them down the road. No, but I, I remember this, right? And, and I feel like this is kind of a high mark for Christmas. Because as we get older, we're not getting the G.I. Joe Rolling Thunders anymore. We're getting socks. We're getting gift cards to Home Depot. And something weird has gone on in our lives because we're excited about it. but not quite with that same childlike excitement that we once had, right? So the question is, why? Why does the excitement wear off? The answer is sin. Consider with me for a minute what sin does in our lives. Sin puts a strain on our relationships. Maybe there's tension in your marriage right now. Friction in a relationship between you and a sibling, you and a parent, you and a friend, you and a co-worker. Anytime there's conflict or friction or strain in a relationship, it's traceable back to sin. Where there is no sin, there is perfect peace. What else does sin do in our lives? Well, sin makes life just difficult. It's one of the byproducts, one of the consequences of sin. When God is doling out the consequences to Adam, he says, you know what? By the sweat of your brow, you shall work the land. Work in and of itself is not a consequence of sin. Adam was put in the garden to work the garden before the fall. Hard work, laborious work, frustrating work, exhausting work, that's where the consequences of sin come in. And so now we live in a world where life is hard, where you're exhausted, where you're worn out, where your body hurts, where you're tired, where you're frustrated where you're disappointed. Sin makes life difficult. Sin also hinders our relationship with God. In fact, if you're here this morning and and you would say, well, I'm I'm not a Christian. I'm just here because a friend invited me to see their cute kid. uh, Sin has severed your relationship with God. In other words, you have no relationship with God. But even for you, Christian, sin hinders our relationship with God. When we have sin in our lives that we are not battling, that we are not putting off, that we are not confessing, and that we are not repenting of, what that does is it makes our relationship with God all of a sudden feel distant. We feel like we're going through the motions. It feels all sterile. And it feels like it's it's hard for us to feel that closeness that we want. Sin is the culprit once again. But ultimately, and this is what Paul argues in Romans 5, the greatest consequence of sin is death. You say, well, is that death physically or death spiritually? The answer is yes. It's it's both. Physical death did not exist before sin entered the world. See, when God said, behold, it was very good after creating everything, including man and woman and placing them in the garden, when he declared it was very good, there was nothing that would inherently decay or deteriorate within his creation. That means that there was nothing to bring about death. Death was brought about by sin physical death so when you think about sickness and cancer and disease and all of those things why are they here the answer is sin but it's not just physical death it's even greater and more dire it's spiritual death it's the reality that after we die that's not it we don't go to worm food at that point see we believe that as created beings we were created with a soul that lives on after we die And that soul will go to one of two places after we die, and that has everything to do with what we do with Jesus, which we'll get to in a moment. That soul will either go to eternal life with Christ or to eternal damnation under the wrath of God. That's called hell. Sin, but about that eternal death. So these are the consequences of sin, and this is the reason why Christmas may not feel like Christmas, because this is The world in which we live, a broken world. But maybe you're saying, Pastor, my life seems to be going pretty well right now. In fact, Christmas is coming together nicely this season. Fair. But my guess is still your budget's probably a little bit smaller this year than it was last year. And then on top of that, maybe you're thinking about the the projections for the economy in the next year, two, three years. You're thinking, oh man, maybe it's going to be even tighter next year than it is this year. And then on top of that, there's the the conflict in the Middle East. There's the the border problem six, seven hours south of here. We've got a porous border where who knows who is crossing and what kind of nefarious plans they have for our nation. And then uh, you've got these two guys looking over our shoulder, waiting to seize whatever opportunity they might be able to. So again, I'm not trying to put a damper on your Christmas. I'm just saying, even if you're out there saying everything's coming together and just right, not everything really truly is just right. It's important that we understand that. It's important that we understand that and that we understand that that has everything to do with this concept of sin. So is it wrong to want Christmas to feel like Christmas, to want joy at Christmas? No, it's not wrong. But let me just encourage you or let me just exhort you when it inevitably fails to measure up to the standards that you have. Two things. Number one, know why this is what we're talking about, sin. And number two, let it encourage you. Encourage me? Let it encourage me that I I feel like Cindy Lou who's saying, where are you, Christmas? How, pastor, is that encouraging? Well, I want it to be a source of encouragement to you because the reality that you have those desires... For peace and comfort and joy and warmth. Those are desires that were hardwired into you as a created being in the image of God. God gave you a desire for these things that this world can't satisfy. And so be encouraged when the world doesn't satisfy it. Because it's a reminder that as we sing peace on earth, we're not talking about peace on this earth. When we sing joy to the world, we're not focused on joy to this world. And when we sing God rest ye merry gentlemen, we're not looking for rest in the here and the now. There is a future coming when all of those things will be a reality. And as those kids sang up here not long ago, God made a way in a manger. That's true. He did make a way for you and I to have a hope in that future. And it all has to do with who this baby is. See, the first Adam failed, and that's why Christmas doesn't seem to satisfy. But where the first Adam failed, there would be a second Adam. See, that's Jesus, the son of Adam. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 3, you get this long list of names. It's called a genealogy. And the genealogy is this person was the son of this person, was the son of this person, was the son of this person, and so forth and so on. Well, in Luke 3, what makes it unique is a couple things. Number one, it's the person's genealogy that it is, and that is it's Jesus' genealogy. Who Jesus was related to from an earthly perspective, a human perspective. And it traces it all the way back to, guess who? Adam. Adam. Jesus is the son of Adam in the sense that he is a descendant of Adam. Why does that matter? Well, because... Our greatest problem is the failure of the first Adam. You see, all of us were connected to Adam. That's what Romans 5.12 says. That Adam sinned, and and when he sinned, all of us sinned, and so death spread to all men. Adam was, as we term it, our federal head, our representative. And so Adam, as the, the father of all mankind, representing us, sinned, and now we all inherit not just his corruption, but his guilt, and the consequence being death. Paul makes that argument, in fact, in Romans 13, 5, 13, and 14. He says, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like Adam's. What in the world does that mean? Well, what, what did Moses receive on Mount Sinai? He received the Ten Commandments, yeah, that we also call the, the law, okay? The law. Now, what did Adam have? Did Adam have a law in the garden? Yeah, he did. He had the one commandment. Eat from any of the trees you want, Adam. Just don't eat from this one tree. That's law. So Adam had a law, and then from Moses onward there was a law, but there was no codified law, revealed law, written law between Adam and Moses. And yet, Paul's saying the consequences of sin, which is death, were still on the scene. In other words, people were still dying between Adam and Moses. But he says, Sin is not counted where there is no law. In Romans 7, Paul's gonna say, I didn't know what it meant to covet until the law said, Do not covet. Then I knew, That's wrong. I shouldn't do that. Now I'm accountable to that. It's like your kids. When you teach your kids, Don't do something, don't take the toilet paper and stick it in the toilet and flush it and watch it just all unravel into the toilet. Don't do that. Before you tell them that, you're going to give them grace. Why? Because they're not accountable to that law. That's the premise there. So then why is death there between Adam and Moses if there's no law to be accountable to? It's because our ultimate guilt and condemnation goes back not to a specific sin that we commit, but to our being descendants of Adam, our original sin, our sin nature is how we describe that. And that's true of all of us. All of us possess that sin nature, which means we're guilty in Adam. So here's why Luke's genealogy that goes back to the son of Adam in Luke chapter three matters so much. Because of our connection to Adam, Adam failed, thereby all of us have this sin nature. Well, what's the answer? How can we overcome Adam's failure? Well, the the bad news is you and me, you and I, we can't. Because the standard was Adam, be perfect. Obey the law. Do not fail to obey the law. Once you fail to obey the law, there's no coming back from that. No amount of good works and obedience from that point forward can make up for the one failure that began it all. And so here's the thing. Our plight is desperate, Because we are all descendants of Adam and condemned by his sin, thereby all of us are guilty. Do we all sin ourselves? Yes. Are we all guilty of our own sins? Yes. But our ultimate guilt comes to our connection with Adam. Therefore, what did we need? We needed a second Adam. We needed someone that God would send and provide a way for him to do what the first Adam couldn't do. In other words, for him to live a perfectly obedient life, not just to the one law, but to the totality of the law. And that's what we find in the baby in the manger who is the son of Adam. We find the second Adam, the one who did it, who nailed it, who lived it perfectly obedient to the Father's will. Never sinned, never stepped out of line. Not one sinful thought entered his mind for the entirety of his 33 some odd years while he was walking the face of the earth. And then what did he do? Well, this is where the news gets really good for you and me. He took that righteousness that he merited... See, he didn't sin. Jesus was unique because he's the only one conceived of by the Spirit who did not have a sin nature. And that's why he was able to live that life. So, what did he do with that? What did he do? Did he he flex? Did he bow up and say, Look at me, you guys, you're all in trouble, but look at me. I aced it, I aced the test. No, he went to the cross. Sang about that. The kids sang about that a, a moment ago as well. He went to the cross and took our sin, took our corruption, in our guilt, in our condemnation, on himself on the cross, and he died for us. Sin entered the world, Romans five twelve, and death with it, and death spread to all men. That means all of us owe death. Again, not just physical, but spiritual death. Jesus paid that death on the cross and took. His perfection, he took what Adam couldn't do. He took all of his obedience, and here's what he did. He said, give me your sin, and I'm going to give you my perfect righteousness. That's why Jesus came. That's why it matters that he's the son of Adam. Without him, we're in a desperate situation. But with them, everything changes. So as you're sitting out there and you're thinking about Christmas and you're thinking about your expectations, some of which have already fallen flat, but others you still have and you're hoping and going, I just hope Christmas is going to be good enough. I hope it's going to feel this way. I hope it's going to come through this way. Let me encourage you. Look, even if your expectations and desires and dreams do come through, let me encourage you to take those expectations, those dreams, those desires, and allow them to drive you to Jesus and realize that Jesus, and in Jesus, you now have hope that will transcend all of the failures here and now. To realize the perfect peace, perfect comfort, comfort, and perfect joy, not here, but in the and there, in eternity with God. Second and final point this morning is this. Find your longings satisfied in Jesus. Find your longings satisfied in Jesus. If you wish things were different this year, they will be different one day. If you wish there was more peace this year, there will be peace forevermore. If you wish you felt more joy during this season, you will feel joy. In fact, Psalm 1611 says you will know the fullness of joy in the presence of God. If you wish there was less to fear this year, there will be nothing to fear one day when we are with our Father. If you wish there were fewer tears, there will be a day when he will wipe away every tear. If you wish there were no cancer, there will be a day where there will be no more sickness. If you wish there was no broken relationships, there will be a day when there's complete reconciliation you wish there was no death, there will be eternal life. And if you just wish there was no more sin, there won't be. That scene is depicted for us in Revelation 21. But that's going to be our reality as soon as we're done here on this earth, when God calls us home. That's the reality we get to step into. That's when all of our longings here, which nothing can quite seem to satisfy, will finally meet their true fulfillment and satisfaction in Jesus. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. He goes on to say, There's all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's what Christmas should remind us of this year. Feel the reality this Christmas that things aren't the way they should be and understand why that is. But also give thanks for Jesus as the son of Adam, that because he succeeded where Adam failed and credited that success to us, if we will believe in him as our Lord and Savior, we have a hope in a future where things will be made right. And your longings will be satisfied in Christ. If you're out here this morning, you're thinking, what does that look like? How do I do that? I want that. Well, we've talked about it already. It begins with understanding the problem in the world, which is sin, and understanding that you possess that problem as well, that you have sin. And that that sin has a penalty, which is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. But then it's also understanding that God provided a remedy for that in Jesus, this baby, the second Adam, the one who lived a perfectly obedient life and then he went to the cross and he took your sin on himself and he died in your place suffering the wrath of God for you because he loves you and now he's offered and made a way for you to have the forgiveness of your sins if you will trust in that death that it was substitutionary. In other words, that it was on behalf of you. If you will trust that Jesus died for you and for your sins and your sins are now forgiven and believe that he rose from the dead three days later so that you will one day live with him forever, that's the key. That transaction of faith between you and God is what guarantees that future where all of these unsatisfied desires that you may feel right now will one day fully be realized in eternity with God. So what do you do this Christmas season? Take your kids to go look at Christmas lights. It's fine. It's great. Do it. We've been doing it with our family. Take them to look at Christmas lights. Decorate the tree. Do the gift exchange. Listen to the Christmas music. Engage in all of your family traditions. And experience the joy that they bring. But when it doesn't quite satisfy. Or when it doesn't fully measure up or it feels like there's something missing let that this year remind you that there will come a day when nothing will be missing any longer when you'll know the fullness of joy not just for a season but for eternity let me pray father we long for that day and we pray for that day and we thank you for times that we can take time out of the busyness and the chaos of our schedules and everything else And think about the gift of Christ. We thank you for this season, this Christmas season. And God, we want to capitalize on it and make memories together and rejoice together and have those moments. And yet, God, we freely admit that it will never be everything we want it to be. And we'll think, well, maybe next Christmas. God, help us instead to think, I can't wait for eternity. I can't wait to be with Jesus. Where all of these desires, all of these longings will once and for all finally be realized. Not just for a couple months, but for eternity. God, we long for that day. I pray that if there's anyone in this room who's not ready for that day because they haven't made that decision to trust in the second Adam, to trust in his work, in his death on their behalf, that today would be the day of salvation That today they would reconcile and wrestle with the the unsatisfied and unmet longings in their own heart and think there's got to be something more and that they would find that something more through Christ. God, we, it's so evident the brokenness of this world all around us. And we grieve over it and we mourn over it. And so as we gather together with our families for Christmas this year, Let us do so with our eyes fixed not on fleeting and passing temporal joy, but on eternal joy that will one day come because of Jesus, the son of Adam. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.